Well, today, we continue our consecutive expository series in the book of Luke. And once again, Jesus and his disciples are continuing now on their fateful journey to Jerusalem. They are heading toward Jerusalem, getting closer and closer. And last week, Luke picked up a very important theme, ironically, about children. But the point was, such are those who are children of the kingdom. Others will not get in who are not children of the kingdom. So that raises a question, doesn't it? What does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? How can we get there? We're going to be looking more about that subject today. Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. Remember, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention and appreciation. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is possible, impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and Followed you. And he said to them. Truly. I say to you. There is no one. Who has left house. Or wife. Or brothers. Or parents. Or children. For the sake. Of the kingdom of God. Who will not receive. Many times more. In this time. And. In the age To come eternal life. The grass withers. The flower fades. God's word 
abides and remains forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose in living? Where will I go when I die? You already, many of you know what those are. Those questions I just put to you and myself. What are they? They're what we call oftentimes ultimate questions of life. The really important questions in life. Not all the stuff we run around scurrying about. No. You see, everyone thinks about these things. It's impossible not to. These questions go to the heart of what it means to be human. And they address our significance, our importance, and most importantly, our destiny. Where are we going to go? We won't be on this globe forever. No one will. As Jesus journeyed and he continued, a respected man in the community wanted to see him. And he came running up to Jesus. And he was very specifically interested in his destiny. That last question, how do I Get there. How do I find eternal life? And so he ran up to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in the progress or process of answering that question, Jesus also gave him. Insight concerning what or who really matters most in life. What really matters most in life, or better yet, who really matters in life. Now here's our outline for the rich young ruler today. That's the title of our message, the rich young ruler. And Actually, it's not the title of the rich young ruler, and I'll, I'll explain why. That's, that comes from Matthew, the, the young part. But the rich ruler is what comes from Luke's gospel, the rich ruler. So, here's the outline. The person, the plan, the price, and the promise. All right? Let's dig in. The person. Who's this guy? Who is this rich ruler that has come up to Jesus. And I have my 
no doubts about it, he was going to be able to probably do a little showing off to this young rabbi. But nonetheless, who was this guy, this person? Well, Matthew tells us that he was rich. So that's where we get that part. And of course, Luke tells us that he was a ruler. That means he had a prominent position, but he probably wasn't The reason why he's called sometimes young probably indicates that he had not really climbed the the stairway high enough yet. Uh, Had status, but but not, not really at the top where he was a mover and shaker of things. But nonetheless, he was a rich ruler. And as such, he was not accustomed to waiting. So he blurts out to Jesus, good teacher, what? must I do to inherit eternal life? And he probably looked, looked around and see, seeing what kind of crowd he had to, while Jesus was going to tell him how well he was doing. No doubt he had something like that in mind. But before Jesus gives the young man an answer, Jesus asks a question to him in verse 19. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? None is good except God alone. Well, we know that Jesus is God, but he sure didn't. And he basically was saying, why are you calling a flesh and blood man, unless something really is different here, and it is, but you don't know that, so why would you be calling me good? Because goodness is not on a sliding scale. It doesn't come that way. You see, here, before Jesus, is this young man. And ultimately, he knows that he's not good enough down deep inside. Otherwise, he wouldn't be asking the question, even if he is confident on the outside. Ultimately, genuine goodness, you see, is defined by what? You? Me? No. Defined by the character of God. That's the ultimate standard. You and I are relative and way down from that. Genuine goodness is defined by the character of God. We have relative standards. And thus, we go around calling, well, that's a good person. We'd say all the time, oh, he's a good good person. I know I hear it all the time from you guys. Joe's such a good guy. No, no. But the point is, that's relative. That's relative. Even for some of you that are so much better than me and so much better than me. Gooder than me, if you will. It's all relative. But God's standard is absolute. It is absolutely impenetrable to be anything but total and complete Goodness, God is good all the time, right? He is. 
He's the essence of goodness. He's the creator of everything we know in our world. He is a good, good God and Father. So Jesus is saying, you don't even, you don't even understand what you're asking, what you're even trying to incline about. Now, secondly, the plan. The plan. Jesus is the one that has plan for this ruler, this rich ruler. But he knows that law always comes before gospel. Law always has to go first in order for the gospel to then become good news. But you cannot reverse it around. You cannot take the train and make it the caboose and then ask it to pull the train. You can't do that. The the caboose can't pull the train. The train's got to pull the caboose. And so, he takes the wealthy rulers straight to the law. Verse 20, listen again. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Did you notice the first table of the law was not even mentioned? Jesus was just going to the stuff that's, that we have deal with each other about. We have to interrelate and react to one another about. He's not even talking about God at that point. And so, here he is in verse 20. And Jesus, hearing Jesus refer to the commandments, all of a sudden he got licking his lips. Mm, He was waiting. He said, hey, now we're in my ballpark. This is where I'm going to shine. This is when I'm really going to make my stand. But he had no doubt thinking about outward compliance. That's what the Pharisees were masters of. They were masters of outward compliance to the law. But inward, remember Jesus said, they're rotten, full of dead men's bones. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3, 6. As to zeal, a persecutor, he was talking about himself. He once was one of these guys. He said, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. I'm blameless. That's what Paul thought. That's what this young man thought. Under the law. He was blameless. Now, at this point, we might have advised Jesus if we were there. And maybe we would think about telling him, yeah, uh, Jesus, he didn't know the first thing about keeping the law. He had a superficial understanding. That's what we were just, I was just saying. He had a superficial understanding. He thought he was a law keeper, but he was nowhere close to God's standard. Even human standards. He, did, he couldn't measure to God 
We've already talked about that. Now he can't measure up to this. He can't even do that. can't even love well. He had a superficial understanding of good and a superficial understanding of what the law was and what its real purpose and what it was all about and what it was intended to do. He was clueless. And amazingly, in spite of all that, he harbored the hope that he could earn his way to heaven. He thought he could get himself a stairway to heaven. But, you know what? He's not much different. While we're sitting over here stomping on him, he's not really that much different than most people who walk on this planet today. The vast majority are like him or worse. Including a lot of professing Christians. Now you say, whoa, whoa, Joe, you've done stopped preaching and gone to meddling now. You're, 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 you're trying to say we aren't good enough to inherit eternal life based on all the good things that we've done? If you're thinking like that, yeah, I'm talking to you. You see, many years ago, many of you know about uh, a, a, a evangelistic uh, program coming out of uh, D. James Kennedy's uh, church in Coral Ridge, became one of the most uh, successful evangelistic outreaches uh, in, throughout America and beyond. And it was called EE for short, Evangelism Explosion. And yet, statistically, as time went on through the years, someone actually put out that 80% of EE responses gave a works righteousness answer to what is the gospel. 80! 80 80%! That's unbelievable. That 80% of professing Christians or those that were considering being, they thought that's how it worked. Just get more toys than others. Build up the war chest. Do enough good things and you'll get in. Everybody hoped for their balance to make it. For their scales to balance. That's how I used to think as a little child and a young boy before I became a Christian. I used to think I'd be on that. Well, surely God's going to, my good is going to outweigh my bad and, and I'll get in. But I was haunted by that. Because I knew it was a lie down deep inside. So you see, 80% of responses give the works righteousness. Just like this guy. I've done it. I've, I've done all these, good teacher. I'm your, I'm your poster boy. But there's the price. Third, the young man may have 
been wondering if perhaps there was something he had missed or overlooked. Indeed, he did. Indeed, he did. There was something he had missed and overlooked. How can anyone really ever know that they're good enough? That's what I just said about my, my own thoughts. Growing up in a church, going to church, and yet I didn't understand the first thing about the gospel. But so how can anyone really know if they're good enough? Some of you may have seen at some point in time a movie entitled City Slickers. Some of you know that. Again, some of you younger folks are going to have to have to jump on your phones, uh, not now, later, um, <laughs> and uh, or ask your parents about it or whatever. But anyway, Billy Crystal and Jack Palance, I believe, was the, was the other character in this particular part of it. Uh, here's a clip from the movie, just a short clip. need volume. Volume. Okay. Out. All right, can we can we go back? Hit hit it back. There we go. Thank you. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This your finger? One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. Now think about that. It's just one thing. Whoa, good. Tell me, tell me. Sounds like the rich and ruler, doesn't it? But his answer is you got to figure that out. You've got to figure that out. Praise God. Praise God. Thank God that Jesus didn't leave the ruler dangling in the dark like that. Jesus told him. And he took him right to the very heart of his problem and what He could not grasp. He tells him what that one thing is. But when he tells him, it broke his heart. It left him crestfallen and destroyed. Listen to verse 23. But when he heard... Excuse me. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Totally destroyed. Jesus was trying to save him because there was something massively in the way of his salvation. 
You see, what is Jesus telling him? He is telling him that if you really want eternal life, you have to repent not just of the bad things, but of all the good things and the things you think are going to matter so much. You will have to repent of those things. That's what's in your way. You've got something in the line ahead of my father and me. Why? Because for that young man and so many others down through the ages, human beings have another functional deity. Not the true and living God, but a functional deity. And that is what they trust in. That is what he was trusting in. Jesus put his finger right on the spot of where his whole world centered. He was, like Simon and Garfunkel said, protected in my armor. Hiding in my room. No one touches me. This is my place. I'm secure. I've got everything that I need. It's in my wealth. And Jesus said, that's your obstacle. Until you get rid of that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot. Because you have another God. And it's not Yahweh. It's not God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus, now, listen carefully. Jesus was not calling for universal asceticism. Going out and throwing everything you have away and saying, here, anybody, bring on the trial, let me just pile it all, take it away, I don't need anything, I'll just live on whatever. No, Jesus didn't call for that. This was a special, unique situation. Jesus was putting his finger right on that guy's button. Some of us, we may have other buttons. But Jesus was not calling for universal asceticism. Neither was he calling for confiscatory income equality. And any of that kind of foolishness that goes on today in our upside down world of trying to understand what justice is and what equality is you see envy can be as dangerous to our souls as greed greed is dangerous so is envy maybe even greater the ruler as i said was crestfallen he was overcome with great sadness because he had luke says great riches this wasn't just a guy that, you know, had done a little bit, get himself up the ladder. This guy, whether he inherited it or whatever, he was rolling in it. And his countenance fell like a lead zeppelin. You see, when Jesus called the rich ruler to give up his money, money was to him, to that ruler, what the Father was to Jesus. And what's that? Everything. 
Jesus, his father, and pleasing him was everything. But for that ruler, wealth was at the dead center of the rich ruler's identity. That's what he identified as. That's what he cared about. That's what he loved. That's what he was banking on. So that was his identity. What's yours and mine? Lastly, the promise. Following Jesus may involve great personal cost. If you look at, again, the text in verse 24 down to verse 27, Jesus is saying it straight. It's, yeah, things are, things are going to be hard. There's going to be, there are going to be things that you're going to have to be willing. It's very hard for someone that has that kind of standard and that kind of idea of what it means to have eternal life. It's impossible, humanly speaking, but not with God. But then, Jesus follows, uh, following Jesus involves great personal cost. That's the point. But it always results in greater gain. It always results in greater gain. Did you hear that? Listen again. Luke 18, 28 through 30. And Peter said, see... We've left our homes and followed you. He's saying, Lord, we're giving up so much for you. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you have no idea what you're talking about. You've given up nothing but very little. And what you're going to get is going to blow your mind. He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house and wife and brothers and parents and children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time. Now, this happens among us in the fellowship of the redeemed. We already have so many brothers and sisters, not just the flesh and blood ones that we get genetically. Who will not receive many more in this time? And here's the kicker in the age to come, eternal life. How? Because you gave up all the other bases, all the other things that purport to be the answer, and you gave them all up for one thing. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. See, that's the essence of what is being talked about here. The Bible says the rich ruler was a wealthy man. You know the truth? The truth is he was bankrupt. He was bankrupt. He had nothing. That is the condition of all men and women naturally. We're all debtors to God who have no hope of paying what we owe to a holy God, to a good God, and we are not, and we have no chance. But 
Let's see if R.C. Sproul can pull up the nose on this sad circumstance. Listen. The tragedy for which the rich young ruler was that the answer to his debt problem was standing right in front of him. The guy's right there in front of him. And that's the answer for everything he's asking and wanting to know about, and he doesn't see it. Christ was the only possible debt relief for him. Likewise, he is the only possible debt relief for us. And he is at hand, waiting for us to call on him for aid. That is what the gospel is about. Christ pays our debt and he gives us his righteousness. Which is the only thing that will satisfy the demands of God's law. By faith, when we put our trust in Christ alone, we receive what we need to get into the kingdom of God. It's a gift. So, we inherit eternal life through Christ. Not through anything we do, did, or ever will do. Likewise, any inheritance, it is a gift, not a payment that we earn. Oh, brothers and sisters, seeking soul. Those of you that don't know still what it means to be a follower of Christ and to, to know that you can inherit eternal life based on what he alone has done. What Sproul just said, he's telling you the answer. There's the answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's it. Now you know how to have eternal life. Amen.